Hey everyone, thanks for stopping in to listen to my latest sermon. It will begin in just a minute. Before it does, I want to ask a few things of you. First, if you are a regular listener to this podcast and you listen on some type of podcast host, would you subscribe? If you do that, then you'll be notified immediately when a new podcast is uploaded And plus, we have some other audio content in the works, and if you'll subscribe, you'll be one of the first people to know about that. Along those same lines, if you find this podcast and these sermons to be helpful to your life, would you do us a favor and leave us a rating or review on your podcast host? Doing so helps our sermons be heard by more people, and as I've said before, we think that's really important. And finally, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, it would be great if you would consider making a financial donation. You can do that by going to creeksidebiblechurch.org/give. And actually one more thing, if God uses this sermon in any way to impact your life, please let me know about it. You can do so by emailing respond@creekside.me. It would Give me great joy to know that God used my words. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for Jesus. So you know this about me if you've been here, you know, more than one time, if you've been around, and that is that I am highly competitive. And what I love about competition is winning. You know, I mean, that's what that's what I love about competing is is victory and I uh, I was just I don't even know who was passing it wasn't about this sermon at all but in the last couple of weeks I had this conversation about competition and and in comp and in competing there is uh, there is losing too and I have suffered some like terrible losses some losses that are downright embarrassing and uh, I've told the story about uh, about not tagging up on third base at the end of a game and we were on a huge losing streak in college and I didn't tag up and so then I got out and it was embarrassing and uh, and, and it was horrible like I think everybody hated me for a few days and, and it culminated when a janitor at my school at Corbin University came up to me and goes oh you're the guy who didn't tag up. It's like, yep, hey, uh, good to meet you. I became kind of friends with that janitor. We had an odd relationship where I never wanted to see him, and he seemed to really like me, um, all because of that first moment. But you, you really do, when you compete, run the risk of losing. But every person who's competitive, people that are driven the way I'm driven, will tell you that the thrill of victory, as they say, makes the chance that you're going to look like an idiot, that you're going to fail, that you're going to lose, it, it makes it worth it because, because it just feels so good to win. And I could point back, I'd love to tell you stories all day about great victories I've had, but uh, there's just a couple that, that stand out, and I'll just tell them to you as by way of illustration. Uh, but one was when I was about 14 years old, we were playing up at Park Rose, and I think I've told parts of this story before, but there was, it was an all-star game, it was summertime, and, and uh, it's 0-0 going into like the second to last inning, and this 
kid on the other team, a friend of mine was pitching a great game for our team, and this kid on this other team hits a home run. He rounds the bases, first, second, third. All his teammates are waiting for him at home plate. He jumps up in the air in celebration. He lands. He goes to the dugout. Everybody's happy. They're probably going to beat us. And our catcher and one of our coaches saw that he actually never touched home plate. And so we appealed, which is a complicated thing to do. Appealing a a play in baseball is weird. There's like a whole system. And we do it correctly, which was kind of a miracle for a 14-year-old. I don't know if they would have known how to appeal a play at the plate in the major leagues even, but we did it correctly, and the umpire calls him out. And everything went crazy. I mean, it went crazy. There were phone calls made to national organizations. There was, it it was crazy. So, So the tournament continued. We won the game in extra innings. We won the game, and things got really bad. Like uh, somebody from our team, a parent, had their card keyed uh, from because there was so much anger from this moment. Uh, a kid on our team's girlfriend got locked into a bathroom by somebody related to this other team. There was threats. They had to bring in, so this is what happened. So they ended up winning the loser's bracket, and we ended up playing again, and they had to bring in extra police officers to be a part of this game and I don't know if you've been in the Park Rose area but I mean just you know when you're coming from Kaiser and you're going to Park Rose anyway it's a different world and and now you added this tension I mean it's bad like there were explosions going off somewhere in the park behind the left field fence when we started this game and I can tell you I pitched the game Nothing felt better than beating them. <laughs> Nothing at all felt better than winning that game. Because of, the, because of the hostility, because of the opposition, it's incredible. I mean, I'd like to call guys on their team right now and say, hey, remember when we beat you? Um, I actually kind of, in college, lost a friend immediately with those exact words. A guy that I'd played high school basketball with, it was like, hey, I'm... Jeff is his name. He's a good guy. We've recovered from this. But I said, I'm Chad. Oh, we played against each other. We beat you. Um, that's how I met this kid. But, but this other win that stands out was, was my senior year of high school. And, and uh, it was the, the play-in game for the state basketball tournament. And uh, we were ranked like ninth in the state. And this team was probably like fifth or sixth in the state. And uh, it was Beaverton High School. And Beaverton High School had not missed the state tournament in like 22 years or something ridiculous it hadn't happened and uh and uh, we had prepared you know our whole lives for to make this state tournament as seniors our school didn't have that kind of success uh and the game went to overtime it was the largest crowd i've ever played in front of there was a lot of people at this game uh and uh, and we won and this guy throws up. I can tell you how it ends because it feels so good. Uh, this kid throws up a three-pointer half-quarter at the buzzer. And we're up by two points. And it's, you know, like in movies, like any basketball movie you've ever seen where everything is in slow-mo while you're watching. It was like that. And you're just watching it fly through the air like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, please, please don't go in. And, and it hits the rim and goes out. It had the opposite ending of most good basketball movies. And he ripped his shirt off and threw his shirt down. It's a fantastic moment because our crowd's running on the court. We're celebrating. We're doing radio interviews. Fantastic moment. And, and as I've looked back on that, 
team that we played against, they would have beat us like six out of ten times, but they didn't that day. Uh, And nothing felt better, nothing feels better than winning. Nothing, to me, to me, maybe to you, but nothing feels better than that. And what we're going to see in this passage today is so different than what I examine in the Christian world today, at least in our country. Because what Paul is going to tell us is that we're winners. Not that we're going to win, not that that we might win, but that if we are Christians, because of the new life we have, because of the resurrection of Jesus, then we in fact are already winners. But here's, here's why I think this sermon today is really, really important. Christians in our country today act like losers. And I don't mean like losers in the mean sense. I mean like they act like the shot went in and that they have lost the game. And, and I see this in, in a handful of ways. Like I see this in the attitude of the average Christian person. It's like, like well, I love Jesus, but... You know, I'm never going to overcome this sin, and I'm, it's not going to get any better, and, and I, I'm scared to talk to people about Jesus, and I, I don't know. Like, the Christian thing's great, but I'm not really that engaged with it. You know, it, it's, it's like a loser mentality. I've known people like that in the world of sports, you know, and it's like the people I least respect in sports, actually. They just come into every game thinking like, well, I'm going to lose probably, you know, or I don't really seem like I'm going to win. And we... The individual, a lot of individual Christians I know, like, I'm never going to break out of this funk. I'm never going to beat depression. I'm never, I'm, I'm just, I, like, yeah, Jesus is great. Yeah, Jesus rose again, but, they would probably say this, but I'm a loser, you know, but I'm a loser. And then the other way that I really see this in our society today, and I think this passage, it should just, it should, I think we should read this in the whole Christian culture of America should change but but I see it culturally there's like this mentality that that our country is turned away from Jesus and and now we are like backed into a corner acting like it's all doom and gloom and like well if things could just go back to being they were the way they were in the 80s or the 50s you know uh, if they could just if we could just go back in time then we would act like winners you know then we would act victorious then we would act like we are more than conquerors but look at what's going on around us you know the liberals are winning you know, and I, I mean it's just like this defeatist attitude that I, I see in Christians and what you think about the political situation of our world or, or how our country is acting morally should not change the fact and the knowledge and the attitude that says we've won if we have placed our life in Jesus, we have already won. And that's what Paul is going to say. And he's going to connect this victory to the resurrection, but he's going to connect it to something more specific. And we'll begin in Romans 8, 31. And here's, here's what Paul says. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And let me, let me begin here by saying about this verse and this passage that in some ways, right here at Romans 8, 31 and on, we have Paul's kind of 
climax to everything he has said about the blessings that we have in Jesus. Paul in the book of Romans spends a few chapters saying like, here's what it means to be a Christian. All people are sinners. All people deserve condemnation, but Christ Jesus died for us and therefore you might have life because God looked at you while you were still sinners and he cared and he came and he offered his son so that you might give his life to him and you might be forgiven for your sins. He said all that and then he turns his attention to what really we've had our attention on in chapters five through eight. If you will choose to become a Christian, look at all of the blessings that you have because of Jesus. Look at all the stuff that you get. Like you are dead to sin. You're able to overcome sin. You're able to stop doing the things you don't want to do anyway. And you're alive to God. There's this life that you get. And it's aimed towards the glorifying of God. We can bear fruit unto God. We talked about that. Like we can do things that will glorify God now and have benefit for others in eternity. We don't just live lives that are fruitless or dead fruit, as Paul talks about, doing things that ultimately aren't going to matter when we die anyway. There's something greater for us. Last week, we talked about how our new lives are eternal and how great life can be here on this earth and how we get to experience those great things forever. That's it's an amazing idea and Paul has presented some amazing ideas in chapters 5 through 8 and here in in Romans 8 31 as a response to all of that he says what then shall we say in response to all of these incredible things that we have in Jesus I mean what what then can summarize it what then can we say to wrap it all up in a bow because after this Paul will move on really in in, in the la- later half of Romans to say like now this is how you should live because of what you have I mean what should we say because of how great the gifts are that we have in the new life that we can have if we are Christians because Jesus rose from the dead He says, well, well this, we can say this. If God is for us, who can be against us? The implied answer, obviously, and this is what Paul is going to launch into, a further explanation of this, but but the implied answer we can all tell is, is nobody. Now, Paul, by that, does not mean that there will be no competition, that there will be no opposition. Paul means that if God is on your team, who's going to beat you? If God is on your side, if you really believe that, if he has really blessed you in all of these ways because you have given yourself to Christ, because you've become a Christian, because you've placed your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, if all of that is true, It means that God is on your side. And if God is on your side, then who can really stand in the way? Who can be against you? Nobody. Nobody. And and we, yet, yet, we, and, and you know I'm right. I think you know I'm right. We who are Christians, even if you're not a Christian, if you just look at Christians, you're like, Man, they act like everything is getting in the way of their plans. I mean, they act like there's so much opposition and like everything is bad. And, and, and you know, if you're not a Christian, that some of the most pessimistic, loser mentality people that you've ever met 
are Christians because they look at the world around them and go, well, they don't have my morals and how dare them teach my kids those things and I can't believe that they think like that and why can't everybody be like us and it's their fault and you've, you've probably met people like this. In fact, how Christians are often stereotyped when they get put into movies. People who are just against everything and act like everybody is against them and Paul says to us, what then shall we say in response to all of this that we have been given in Christ? If God is for us, who can stand against us? He continues. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Let's be clear here. The deepest demonstration of the fact that God is on our side is that Jesus came to die for our sins. Now, you may be a person who questions, does God really love me? Is God really on my side? Does God really care? Does God really play for my team? Because maybe there's things in your life where you're like, well, if God loved me, how then could this happen? Right? I mean, that's a normal response. If God truly loved me, then why would he allow for this thing to take place, for my family to be this way, for that tragedy to have struck, for whatever? And, you know, we have this in like a theoretical sense oftentimes. Well, if God loves people, how come bad things happen? But most of us don't really care about that, if we're being honest. <laughs> most people don't care about the question if, if God loves then why do bad things happen most people care about this question if God loves me then why do bad things happen to me and that's a different question for a different day it's important but but my response this morning is simply to say well if God didn't love you then why would he have came from heaven to earth to die for you there will always be bad things and those questions are difficult and they're important questions. If you want to talk to me about why bad things happen to you despite God loving you, I'll have that conversation. I'd love to have that conversation. But I think a better question is if God didn't love you, why would he have come and died for you? And, and that's, that's what really Paul gets at here. Look, God is on your side. How do I know that God's on your side? Well, he stepped out of heaven onto earth. He died on a cross and he rose again. Now, for Paul, this is very real. For you, maybe you're like, well, that's in the Bible. It's theoretical. But it's not just the Bible saying that this is true. This is Paul saying that this is true. And what Paul tells us is that he hated Jesus. He hated Christians until, and we talked about this at the beginning of the series, he was walking down a road after perhaps seeing Jesus nailed to a cross, after having perhaps seen Jesus tortured until he died, and after seeing Jesus perhaps pierced through with the spear in order that they could make sure he was dead, after seeing perhaps Jesus laid inside of a tomb, Paul was walking on a road, and there was Jesus. So for Paul, he, he's like, wait, wait a minute like this is real to me when I talk about Jesus dying and rising again I'm not talking about some theoretical stuff you know that people told to me it's like I watched this guy die and I came to the realization that he did not deserve to die 
And then I saw him having resurrected, having come back from the dead. And so I want you guys to know that, look, the greatest demonstration of God's love, the greatest demonstration of the fact that God is on your side is the fact that God came in the person of Jesus and he gave his life for you. He gave his life for you. And if he did that, then how was he not going to graciously give you all things? I mean, if he stepped from heaven to earth, if he came out of heaven and came to earth and he lived on this earth that can be so terrible and so mean and so hurtful and so difficult to navigate, if he was willing to do that and then willing to suffer the most brutal death ever died for your sake, if he was willing to do all that, then why would he not give you all that you need to be victorious? Why would he not be on your side? Why would he not provide you with all that you need to win? He says it in this kind of judicial language. He doesn't use sports terms. Would have connected with me better if he did, but he uses this judicial language like, like if it is God who justifies. I mean, it's God who makes you, and we talked about this just a week ago. You can go back and listen to that. If, if it's God who says, look, you have been declared innocent despite all of the things that you have done wrong. And, and then who's going to condemn you then? I mean, if God, the God of the universe, even if you guys just have a marginal idea of what we mean by the word God, if that being says you're innocent, then who cares what other people say? And we can apply this to everything because much of the opposition that we face in this life is the opposition of words, right? You're like, well, I want to be loved. Somebody says something to you that makes you feel unlovable. Well, I want to know that I matter. And maybe you grew up in a home where, where people said things to you that made you feel like you didn't matter. You're like, well, I want to know that I'm important to other people. And you, you had that one person that just treated you or even said, like, you're not that important to me. And here Paul says, look, if God justifies, then who's the one who condemns you? Who's the one that's going to look at you and say, you're not innocent if God's declared that you are innocent? And I would say the same thing. Who, who's going to be the one that says you don't matter if God has said you do matter? And who's going to be the one who says you don't have any worth if God says you do have worth? I mean, how do they even compare to what God has declared? They don't. And so if God is for you, then why do we act like losers when simple human beings are against you? If God has already said, I will give you everything you need to be victorious in this life, then what does it matter if somebody comes along and says, you'll never win? You'll never conquer this. You'll never conquer that. You'll never figure it out. You'll never get any better. You'll never be any cooler. You'll never be any more lovable. You'll never be any more valuable. It's like I've already given you everything for victory, including my life. And if I declare something about you, then what does it matter what somebody else might declare about you? It doesn't. And in Romans 8, 34, he continues down this same line. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Look, here's the gospel story. This is why we're gathered here this morning. This is the story, ready? We are sinners. 
We do things that we know are wrong. If sin's an unfamiliar word to you, that's okay because you already know that you do things that you regret. You've done things that you regret terribly. You do things that you've had to ask forgiveness for. You do things that that you don't even have the guts to ask forgiveness for because they were so bad and you don't want to bring them up anymore. You know that. So God looked down from heaven. He said, they are destined for an eternity of death and they are destined from an eternity out of my presence. But I created them for life. I gave them life and I created them for a relationship with me. So I will go down there. I will pay the punishment of their sins by living a sinless human life. And then at the end of that life, having all of their sins nailed upon a cross through my very body. And as I've said before, as Jesus, God in human form, was nailed to that cross, he paid the punishment of hell, quite literally. He was dead, he was buried, and then three days later he got out of the grave, which 1 Corinthians tells us, another book that Paul wrote tells us, That in rising from the grave, he conquered sin and death forever so that if you give your life to him, you can be forgiven from your sins and you can live in eternity in, in heaven, this perfect place. But after Jesus rose again, he ascended into heaven. He went up into heaven where he, in his words, is preparing a place for us. But his only, job, his only job there is not to prepare a place for you. It's also to intercede for you, to be on your side. And so what Paul says here is very important, that now Jesus is in heaven being the one who talks on your behalf. How could you possibly lose? It's like going into a job interview and you realize right before that the CEO of the company, his son is your best friend. I'm gonna win. I'm going to get this job. It's going to happen. Right, you know that feeling where you have the top dog on your side and the feeling of invincibility that it brings to you. And Paul says, look, this Jesus character did more for you than anybody will ever do for you because he gave his very life for you. He rose from the grave. He is powerful enough to even conquer death and now he sits on a throne interceding for you, talking on your behalf, being on your side. How could you possibly feel like a loser? can't you shouldn't we do but i don't know why and paul continues who who will separate us from the love of christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we face death all day long we are considered a sheep to be slaughtered the implied answer again is nobody or no thing nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. He has proved how much he has loved you. And nothing will separate you from that love. But we know, do we not know, that some things make us question that love? And if anybody could have felt the struggle of understanding theologically, philosophically, mentally that God loved them, but looking at their day-to-day life and going, 
really? It would have been Paul. Some of the things he says here are not hypothetical to him. I mean, the man dealt with extreme hardships because he lived for Jesus. He faced extreme persecution because he lived for Jesus. He often went hungry because he lived for Jesus. He was in danger almost at every turn of losing his life because he lived for Jesus. And he just poses this question. And I think for Paul, it's probably semi-real question. Will any of these things that I face, that I deal with, will any of them separate me from the love of God? Is there anything so bad that it can remove me from the love that I have experienced, that I have felt, that I know to be true? And Paul realizes, and he'll say it to us, he's going to answer this question in a second, but it was like, no, no. But not only that, don't some things make you feel like you're going to reject Jesus or that you want to or you want to turn your back? I mean, like when you've, when you've just struggled long enough and hard enough, when there's been enough hardship and enough persecution, don't you question, like, will I, will I reject him? And Paul then says this incredible thing. You may have heard this. We sang part of it earlier today. Paul says this incredible, incredible thing. And while there's a lot of parts in the Bible that we want to get past really quickly because we don't like them as much, this one we all, we all love it. And, and I would just say even, even if you are not a Christian person, if, if this is brand new information to you, the, the idea of God loving you is like, wait, what? Like God loves me. Why would God care about me? Is there even a God? Even then, you, you want this to be true. I mean, I don't think there's anybody who comes along and goes, yeah, Romans 8, 37 through 39, I hope that that's not true because whether you've been a Christian forever or you don't even know what it means to be a Christian, this is incredible. And, and if it's true, then it must change the way we live our lives. And it must, it must turn us from being people who, who act and feel like we have lost, like we are losing, like we are, like, like we are not going to be victorious to people who follow the first verse here. And, and this is what Paul says. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to read it again. I don't usually do that, but I want to read it again because it's so profound and so important. And I think it speaks into our culture of of negativity, especially the Christian culture of negativity, so profoundly that it just needs to be read again. Romans 8, 37 through 39. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus.
This means that all that opposes us, all of the negative feelings that we have, all of the people who would stand up against you and make you feel like you're going to lose, all of the darkness that tries to make you turn away from God to give in to sin if you're a Christian, everything that you feel like opposes you in your life can not only be overcome, has not only been overcome, but you can excel despite all of those things. One author said it like this, to be more than a conqueror means we not only achieve victory, but we overwhelmingly, we are overwhelmingly victorious. If the final score of a basketball game is 142 to six, we know that the opposition put up a fight, but they were no match for the victors. Another one of my great wins. When I was, I think, a, a fifth grader, our first basketball game in this little dungy gym, we beat a team 66 to 6, and we took our foot off the gas pedal really early on. And that sounds like, was that fun? Absolutely. Super fun. Um, <laughs> there was nothing not fun about it at all. Uh, it was incredible. And this, this is the metaphor that Paul gives us. He says, look, this is the language. He says, look, if you become a Christian, then you are not just victorious. You're not just going to win. You are going to crush your opponents. Why? Because you're going to work harder, because you have figured out the secret sauce of success, because you have a, a playbook and a to-do list that's going to help you. No, because because Jesus is on your side. Because Jesus is on your side. He is the LeBron James, in fact, of our spiritual lives. You're just going to win. I, I think that we really need to grasp this. Because like I said at the beginning... I see individual Christians, a lot of you, that just seem defeated. You act defeated. You don't just seem defeated. You act defeated. And whether it be like something that you can't overcome, whether you look at, at your family problems and you're like, this will never get better, whether it's just like you just struggle with negative self-talk to use a, a, a term from psychology and it's always like well I'm not good enough or I'm not you know gonna ever figure this out or, or whatever I mean whatever it is I don't know I'm probably too arrogant to know if I'm being honest but whatever it is that is driving the negative attitude it's not right it's not right. I don't know if that makes you feel better or worse, but it's not right. Because of what Paul has told us here, I mean, he's going, hey, you, Chad, I'll use my name, Chad, I want you to know this. I want you to know that, that God is on your side. Look at all the blessings you have. And if he's on your side, who's gonna be able to oppose you? Nobody. And by the way, he proved he was on your side by actually coming down from heaven to earth and, and he died for you. And then he got out of the grave. So not only was he on your side, but he's all powerful, powerful enough to conquer even death. He's on your side. And, and look, I've pondered this and, and nothing that we face, nothing that we go against, nothing that stands in the way can ever separate us from the love of Christ. And if God, loves you that much you win you win 
and my goodness, I don't know if this will have any effect, but maybe every Christian in our country will listen, but <laughs> there is nothing that is going to happen in our country. There is no shift in law, no shift in morality, no shift that can change the fact that we are victorious in Christ. And we need to stop acting like the conquered few and remember that we are those who are more than conquerors in Christ. We're the winners. We are the winners. And every time that a bathroom law changes, we don't need to crawl into a corner and go, well, there goes a little more another piece of what we used to have in our country. We have more, more than we ever are going to need because of what Jesus has done for us. And we must stop acting like we're losing. Perhaps, perhaps our culture is shifting away from Jesus. Perhaps, but we still win. We still win. We still have more in Christ than anybody could ever have in a perfect country on earth. We are no longer citizens of our country. In fact, as, Christ, as citizens of our country as Christians, we are citizens of heaven and nothing bad is happening in heaven, I can tell you that. We are now part of the family of God. We can bear fruit. We have life that lasts forever. God has shown us his love in the most tremendous way and the opposition will come, I promise you that. There will be a fight against us but it does not matter because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and that makes us more than conquerors for eternity. You see in our, our regular lives, our normal lives, our lives before Jesus, we, we are going to lose. It does not matter how successful or rich or famous or well-respected or powerful we become, we're going to lose. Your losses might come as your health gets bad. Your loss might come as, as your money goes away. Your loss might come as you become old and, and people that did respect you now just look at you as the old person. I mean, the loss might come when you die. I don't know, but you're going to lose. But in Christ, we're not. We're going to win 100%. There is no chance of anything else happening. And so we must stop acting like losers, perhaps lovable losers, but like losers. And we must start acting like the winners that we are because we are more than conquerors in Christ. What I've come to know is the wins of love are sometimes the greatest wins. I love playing a basketball game and scoring more points than another person. I'm pumped for our softball team this summer because I think we're going to win the C-League championship again. And I'll have two trophies on my wall. But the greatest wins are like the wins of, of love. I talked about my cousin graduating from the MBA program at the University of Texas a couple of weeks ago. I was down there. And just, just loving Jared and, and seeing him succeed was incredible. And, and, and I, my daughter peed on a toilet the other day. And I've tried to tell everybody since the moment she's born that she's very advanced. And, uh, and it was this victory of love. Like, my kid's peeing on a toilet. What's your kid doing, you know? I mean, <laughs> next it's Harvard. Um, and, and so, and, and there's just loving another human. 
and seeing them succeed is incredible. And I've learned that while sports victories are awesome, the victories that we have that are surrounded in love, that are wrapped up in love are the best ones. And the gospel story is a story that says you had a life, but now you have a new life. And in that new life, you've experienced the greatest victory, a victory of love, a love so profound that it came and died and conquered death on your behalf. And now we are more than conquerors and we must, we must, if we're going, I don't know, just stop acting like a loser. That's the point of the sermon. That's the quote that's going up on our Instagram this week. Stop acting like a loser because if you're a Christian, you are more than a conqueror. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I pray that we would, that we would be like the just most celebratory, passionate, pumped up, not fake, pumped up, but pumped up people, God. And I pray that we would not be people who let a bad day defeat us and we would not be people who let legislation make it seem like we've lost everything. And, and I pray we would be people who, even if our whole country turns away from you, we would still, I pray, be people who act like we should, victorious, because we have victory in you, Lord. And it's because of how much you love us. It's because of how incredible your love is for us. Lord, I'm just, I'm, I'm frustrated, I guess, with not individuals who seem defeated all the time because I, I can get that, Lord, but I'm frustrated by this cultural mindset of American Christians we like have our backs up against the wall and we're going down and we're willing to go down with the ship, but we're going down. And I pray you change it, Lord. Because, because you've done so much for us and for us, God, to act any way but victorious suggests, God, that we don't actually believe in the fact that you came and died and rose again because you loved us so tremendously. And it suggests, God, that we don't actually believe that we will have life that goes on for eternity, that we can bear fruit, that we can have joy, that despite our circumstances, that, that we have a relationship with the God of the universe. It suggests that you aren't on our team, God. So remind us always that if you are for us, then nobody can get in our way of victory. No thing can get in the way of us being victorious, Jesus, because of your great love for us. Let us act like the victors that we are, God. I pray these things in your name. Amen.